0: Welcome to the Beyond Beauty Podcast, a platform to highlight the beauty's industry talent, deconstruct their learnings, and spark ideas for your own business. The Beyond Beauty Podcast is created by dilly the leading creative agency working with the fastest growing brands in the industry. Here, we'll interview guests from major beauty corporations, creative directors, influencers, and founders, and even risk-taking entrepreneurs. Our guests are not only changing the traditional beauty landscape, They're also innovating in e-commerce, branding, and digital marketing. Join us as they share valuable advice, how they launch their business, and most importantly, ignite thought-provoking conversations across beauty, tech, and marketing. Amazing. Alison, so glad to, to have you here today.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Alison McNamara,
0: founder of Mara, Mara Beauty. Um, one of the one of the things that i I found incredible about your background is you have this super extensive media and hosting background, and for some reason, five years ago, you decided to go into the world of beauty and launch your own company and and take on this like huge challenge. I love to know what's the background like what prompted you to do that. What was the transition between media to beauty?
1: I've always loved entertaining people. And I went to a pretty small private school growing up, and we had these long-form poetry contests where we had to recite these really long poems. And I was always really good at memorizing things and really good at public speaking. So early on, I decided that I wanted to be some sort of newscaster. At the time, I thought it was more politics-related. So, like, Tom Brokaw was one of my idols, But going to school at USC in Los Angeles, where I'm from, I realized there was this whole ecosystem of entertainment that I could explore and still do the same thing. So I started interning at E! in the Daily Ten and then in the News Bureau while I was at USC and decided that I was not going to do politics. I was going to do something much more fun, which is talk and report on celebrities, fashion and beauty. So I went on that journey and did... You worked in media for upwards of ten years. I worked at Pop Sugar, Entertainment Tonight, Refinery Twenty Nine. I had a show on FYI Network and one on ABC. I even got to host the pre-show for the Oscars several years in a row that won an, um, an Emmy, which was really exciting. But then I realized that a lot of the shows I was getting casted for they were reality style competition shows and entertainment news shows. People didn't really need to watch these types of shows anymore because Instagram was really taking over. This is in 2015. And so that's when I went on the journey to figure out what a secondary career would look like for myself. And beauty's always been a part of my background. And that's when I started Mara.
0: That's remarkable. I, it's super interesting. I, I think so much of being an entrepreneur and launching a company is, is having that kind of drive, that confidence. Uh, I presume some of the skill sets you also got by having to be in front of the camera. But what were some of the things that you had to change and you had to develop when you became a founder and you started a company?
1: So many things. I do think that the idea of storytelling and creation and being able to fill a white space was something that came really naturally to me. But I had never, you know, really run a a business before, for sure. And I'd never really looked uh, properly at, like, how to set up a chart of accounts, what the GL impact is of certain purchases. <laughs> now we're on NetSuite, so I what with supply chain and future demand planning looks like, that's all something I had never done before. And so the way I launched the business, I think was really integral to my success in a way, because I launched with just one product, and at the time I was so overwhelmed with getting bottles and droppers and raw materials and right. a contract manufacturer, and that seemed really overwhelming. But I can't imagine having multiple products at the same time. So I almost grew as a founder with my business. Every time I launched a second product or a third product and so forth and so on, the journey becomes more complicated. But I also have the skill set now to face that. So I, do, I am very grateful for how I unintentionally did it, because I think it set me up for some success that maybe would have been really overwhelming at the beginning.
0: Absolutely. Where do you, Where do you feel the, <laughs> the seed for the idea came from? What product do you want to launch with? Where did the thought of, this is the thing that I want to do first? Where did that come from?
1: So my family is in skincare and color cosmetics. I grew up with my dad working in the industry. And so whether it was the next big oil-free acne wash or it was chocolate bar makeup product, I was always experimenting with the newest things. And ironically, I think growing up with my dad working at Neutrogena, which is one of the places that he worked, the messaging around that time when I was growing up was oil-free this, anti-acne, really beat your skin. That was the kind of messaging that was really popular. Like the, hell, like everything was fat-free and uh, like low-cal, but actually the most- Low nutrition, too. So, I think that's what inspired Mara because I've always believed in oils and fatty acids for both the gut and for the skin. And so, I took this idea of creating a clean algae line. And I felt that at the time, most algae infused products were not in the clean category. And most oils were also not clean. So, I found this like white space, or so I thought, and went on that journey from that product. Tell us a little bit more about
0: algae when you speak about, obviously, the one that I think most people live in California know about is kelp. There's some kelp mm-hmm. farms in you know, Ventura County and San Luis Obispo. And but what kind of algae got into these products? And how do you think about what types or where do you even source these things from?
1: Yeah, so there are so many types of algae, you are correct. And algae is like a blanket term, right? It includes everything from microscopic things that you can't see with the naked eye like blue green algae which is like spirulina so those types of of ingredients fall under algae as well as seaweed and regular algae kelp there's so many things but we use a plethora of, of algae extracts across our formulas but the real blend that we're known for that wild collected proprietary blend has two forms of alaria esculenta extract which is a brown algae and then plankton which is a a vegan plankton. So there's different types of plankton, which is microscopic, you can't see it, but known for their fatty acids, antioxidants, B-complex vitamins, trace minerals. It's so great for for warding off oxidative stress and free radical damage, and also incredible for for anti-aging. I call it like the fountain of youth. So I love getting to work with it in our formulas.
0: Is this something that at the time you learned from maybe your family and kind of your relationship with your dad, if he told you about something that Virginia was doing, or was this something that you researched on your own and you realized we need to be using algae for these
1: products? Oh yeah, this had nothing to do with my family or their interests in products. And at the time when I launched this, he was well beyond his job in skincare. He was at a color cosmetics brand at the time. So no, I was really inspired by places like La Mer. Like I think La Mer mm-hmm. is so iconic and I, I love like heritage brands like Estee Lauder, And even in the makeup space and perfume space like Tom Ford. So I was really looking to create something that felt like a new age, modern heritage brand. Something that you could have on your shelf in 30 years from now and wouldn't feel like it was created in 2018 or launched in 2018. And when it came to the ingredients, I I love the idea that Mara, which is the last four letters of my last name, means sea in Gaelic and Scottish. So our last name translates truly to like hound of the sea. So everything we do with Mara ties back to the ocean. So that's really where um, the algae ingredient story came from along with my inspiration to brands like La Mer, but really making it our own and really doing something in a clean forward. And I think like clinical way.
0: That's amazing. I, I mean, this really <laughs> speaks to me. I grew up in a uh, Gaelic part of Spain. That most people people don't know about. They have no idea it exists. And um, we grew up by the water our whole life. And my family has had a a fish oil company factory for 95 years. So a lot of these products that I grew up with, made into like pill form and supplements and things like that. It's just like connection with the ocean and everything the ocean has to offer. I really connect with that. It's beautiful. One of the really fun parts about when founders start companies that are so close to their heart and kind of out of their their products I wish they had themselves is, how do you go from zero to one? How do you start learning about these things and teaching yourself? Do you have mentors that you felt you could go to learn from how to formulate, how to even start thinking about packaging and design?
1: I do have mentors in the sense where I have lots of amazing female founders now that I get to talk with and converse with back when I was launching the brand though, I didn't have that many mentors. I think Google is so undervalued. Half the <laughs> time I'd be on calls and people would be like, you need to send your BOM. And I'm like, Hey, yeah, yeah, I got it. And I'm like, what's... Mentor. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what's the BOM? I think just being willing to like You don't always have to tell people you have no idea what they're talking about, but being willing to learn, do the research. I think a big part of being in media and being a journalist is doing adequate research. So I've never shied away from getting to learn new things. And I think that was very valuable at the beginning. Of course, when it came to some of the really the things I'd never heard of before, like finding a cosmetic chemist, I did ask my dad for advice and I did get recommendations by going to all of the different, there are these like conferences, if you will. There's Cosmoprof, yeah. there's Makeup LA, there's tons of them. So I found out so much information by going to those. And I still go to them, by the way. I'm not like too good for them now that I have a brand. I'm always at those conferences just to check on new packaging options, new suppliers, new manufacturers, new raw materials. I think it's important to know what's out there. So I did a lot of that due diligence starting in 2015 when I had the idea. And up until now, I still go.
0: Tell me a little like bit more about it. Building the team through that process. What are what some is, of the roles you thought of the kind of the initial hires, maybe, and, and how do you think about building the team? What was the, the infrastructure of the company, if you will, um, over the years?
1: Our team is much more heavy in marketing and social because we are a D2C first brand, even though we're now at first. Sephora, which is a big part of our business, and we are at other retail, which is important to us too. And so for us, we're really heavy on marketing and social. The very first person I brought on besides myself, wasn't full-time, but it was a contractor for PR. And I've always known as a journalist, the value of being represented by someone else to the media. I think doing your own PR is hard because obviously you like your stuff. So the first thing I invested in was a great PR team at the time. She was just starting her agency too. Her name is Simona Evna. Love her so much. Evna Media is her company. And that was the big first thing I did. Then I got that all-in-one hybrid, like assistant marketing social woman, and then slowly just started growing from there. Hired a full-time social person, moved that other person into marketing, and then really filled out that side of the team. I do almost all of the operations myself, which is tough. At some point, I can't wait to not do it. I do love doing it though, because I think when you're a business that hasn't taken on funding it's really important to know where your money's going and so i'm in total control of what which po's are released what sales orders are going out when we're getting paid who's paying us who hasn't paid us and so i think it really helps with the cash flow cycle
0: it's really incredible you've been able to bootstrap the company to to this level and, and to even expand into retail like sephora one of the things that we see a lot of also is as brands go from ddc uh, online at the beginning and they move into retail it's, there's this breaking point where they have to advance so much liquidity to get stock of product into the retailer that they're like, we we'll we have to, even if we don't want to, we we'll have to raise financing. How did you manage to get through those hoops or like, then by with still bootstrapping the business?
1: I think a big part of the strategy was the early success of the company by not launching too much at once and really relying on each product success to fuel and fund the next launch. And then when it came to hiring, I didn't even really work for the company. I was full-time, obviously, working for the company. But I still had a full-time job, my other business, up until February of last year. So, yeah. yeah. So I think that is really important. I think making sacrifices on, on those fronts have led us to be able to not have to take on funding. And look, I do want to do a Series A at some point. I think it's really exciting. You want to bring on the right partner. I just don't want to have to be forced to do it. And that was really important to me. I want to make sure... That we're picking the right person for the right reasons at the right time, and yeah, getting into Sephora and then being able to partake in their marketing initiatives, which is like heavy sampling, doing deluxe minis, doing things like we did a round of billboards in Los Angeles, we did a a big truck with our branding all over it. So getting to be splashy and making those those launches feel special, while also being paying for all of your production front and managing those POs is definitely like a it's like a balance game, but that's why I still do all the operations because I know exactly how much I can spend and when things are coming in.
0: It seems like you have a very good pulse on uh, every detail of the business, which is, it's hard on this scale. <laughs> I mean,
1: it's incredible to see. Oh, that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Pros and cons. Sometimes I wish I didn't know so much because then you get so, ha, huh, like in your head about certain things too, right? Of course. Yeah. I mean, Ignorance you're,
0: is- you're, they say over time you have to go from working in the business to working on the business. Exactly. I look at things a bit more sort of bird's eye view. But one of the, one of the trends are, are, that we hear quite a lot is people that have full-time jobs, they have these great ideas, they want to launch a product. What advice would you have for them, someone that's done both at the same time for an extended period of time? on how to be able to manage you know, their full-time job and also launching a business on the side?
1: Yeah, it's tough. It definitely takes sacrifice. I've always have loved getting to work on the weekend and it's not like the entire weekend, but I would set aside some time at the beginning when I was ideating Mara and I really couldn't let it take away from my other job. And my other job, I also worked for myself, by the way, but so that made it a little bit easier. I think it's harder when you're still going into a nine to five and you're trying to find that footing. It's still doable, We've got to be very good with time management. I think weekends like a Saturday, just cranking out like a, a nine to twelve, you'll be surprised at how much work you get done in those three hours when no one is bothering you. I feel like <laughs> it's amazing. Yes. I still do it. Like I love just crunching out like some time on the weekend where it's no one's asking me any questions. I'm not having to like hop on a Zoom. So I, I think that's really important. You know, you obviously have to prioritize your work-life balance, so you don't want to go insane. But I think doing a dedicated time after you eat in the evening, like okay, if you eat at typically at seven p.m., then maybe you do like really important ideation from eight to nine thirty, and then you're done for the day. But you do have to make those sacrifices. And I've also been someone that I love. I'm a night owl. I've been trying not to be, but I do my best creation in the evening, and so. I created most of Mara on planes or like after 11 p.m. at night. So, when, nobody, when nobody's even when you're calling it. Exactly, when it's quiet. I think I, I like the quiet. So, I think it's all about balance, though. And I think that you can't sac- you've got to make sure that what you're doing for your next thing will be able to support you. And you don't want to lose the thing that supports you in the process. So, it's going to be like, it's got to be like a nice handoff.
0: Absolutely. How do you find the, um, the pandemic impacted? the the workflow and the growth of the company was this something that you guys were already remote and it wasn't so bad for you kind of the day to day of the company or is this something that that changed any fundamental dynamic of how the business worked
1: I hired my first employee right like months before the pandemic she started technically full time in February of 2020 and then March we went into oh. the pandemic so yeah. since we were so like one on one we ended up we obviously sheltered in place for that month of March. But then we just found that we weren't seeing anyone. So we were each other's pod in a way. And we had instrumental growth through the pandemic. And for that, I'm very grateful. I know it wasn't like that for everyone, but people were researching ingredients and they were not investing in makeup at the time. They were looking for skincare. And we had some really incredible organic celebrity placements from like Haley Bieber and Chrissy Teigen and Addison Rae and Olivia Munn. There were so many others too, but during that time that really launched the business up so much further. So it was a great time for us. And sometimes I say I, I miss that air, that time of my life because it was, I, I think when things are like, when things are uncertain, you're so much more creative. And I think that right. that was a really unique time for all of us. Granted, what was going on in the world was obviously horrible, but I think when you're forced to do something out of your norm, you come up with great ideas. And so for that, I, I do will always have a very special Soft spot for that time in my life.
0: I think it's, it's funny because we've heard this feedback uh, before. A lot of people did really incredible work um, through those times because they were not um, distracted by going to events and traveling as much and having to move. And get locked down and did some of the most amazing creative work. So that it was a terrible time for a lot of people. But I feel in a way, nobody had FOMO, right? Because everyone was home.
1: Yeah, right. Look so. at Taylor Swift. She gave us two, three new albums and a million re-records <laughs> all through COVID. Anything's possible.
0: One of the interesting topics I like to bring up, too, of what's going on with media and acquisition. Look back 18 months, even 12 months, even Facebook, Meta, Google Ads, I would say I big prime, A lot of dollars being put into it. The economy was flush. Brands were buying new customers at a pretty, pretty fast rate. Now, come to today, Amazon becomes significantly more expensive. Uh, the CAC has become a lot higher to, to bring in those customers. Brands are more focused on lifetime value and how do you do better for the existing customers you have uh, to keep them coming back. So, how have you thought about reframing kind of acquisition? for the last few months? And, and what has worked for you guys and maybe things that you've had to shift?
1: We've never been really strong, in my opinion, on our digital ad buying. That's just not some, some way that we've really focused on for new customer acquisition. Now, you are correct. 18 months ago, the cost of getting a new customer for our ads, they were so much more successful. We didn't have to think so hard about even what the messaging was or who we were even putting the ad totally. out to. We definitely parred back our our like media spend. It's not a big part of our business. We really rely on our retailers and our own just word of mouth <laughs> for a new customer acquisition because it's really hard for us to compete in that space. And I just think there's a better use of money at this point than really investing in those digital ad buys. How
0: have you managed to, to piggyback this growth when it comes to online? Have you parked retail and, and, and obviously the volume that brings and also the branding that brings, but purely online, have you seen that interest or the organic performance has shifted between platforms over the last few months? Or do you have any consistent channels that you continue to invest in?
1: We continue to invest in retail. I think that our Sephora partnership is the thing that we're continuing to invest and reinvest in the most because it's just such a larger playing field than um, what we had before. And then for D2C, we're always making investments, whether it's like updating the website or finding ways to bundle and kit, which I think are really smart new customer acquisition techniques for your own D C that they're not going to get on a retailer's website. But for the most part, we, yeah, we're not investing in, I'd rather do like traditional media buys, billboards, and even uh, mailers to people's homes, like things that touch the the client more than the digital ad buys. Because I think we're so fatigued just with TikTok and scrolling and Instagram. It's like, I used to even click on ads and now I'm just like, okay, next. So I think we're yeah. just like overwhelmed on that platform, on those platforms on our phones, even with SMS, it's like, how did that brand get my number? And then now you're getting, <laughs> they do. And, I, and look, we do SMS too. And it's just, yeah. we've been bombarding people from all areas. So I think uh, we've been really focusing just on the more traditional side of marketing and getting people to really talk about us um, word of mouth or, or touch us in real life.
0: It's so interesting because uh, we, we see you know a lot of that, even last week, um, I don't know if this has happened to you, but I got a notification from Meta when I opened my Instagram. And they wouldn't let me open Instagram. And they only gave me two choices. They said, you pay $13.99 a month and you get no ads or you continue to work for, with it uh, for free, but you have to accept all these new terms of service and then you will see ads. Um, and I was probably one of the first cohorts um, to do, but like I'm, I'm assuming it's going to get to all of us soon. And I think I call a couple of my friends on that and they told me, look, brands are not the only ones to see that ads are like, not performing the way they used to. People are getting saturated. And so Meta now is saying, this is tanking over time. Brands will, as they get less performance, they're going to invest less money into ads. So we got to find other ways to monetize our services. And so they're launching this kind of ad-free subscription service now for all Meta products.
1: That is crazy. It's like Hulu or Spotify. Which, What did you choose? Are you you willing to share? Did you choose?
0: I chose with ads. And...
1: The reason for
0: me was, first of all, I wanted to see if my experience fundamentally changed after I agreed to a new set of terms of service and probably access to my data. At some point on my switch, you can just switch by going to your settings. But I thought about it. I was like, is it worth for me? Do I want to pay for this? It's less relevant the amount, but do I want to pay to spend time in, on Instagram? And It was a bit of an existential question. Totally. Um, And so I don't know what people are going to do. I'm curious to see what happens.
1: I wouldn't pay for it. That's more than like a Spotify membership. I think that's like a waste. If they would have done like $3.99 to not see ads, I would have probably done it on my personal Instagram and then kept my business Instagrams, obviously, like seeing ads. But that's interesting. We'll see what people decide. That's obviously not great news because. I'm sure a lot of people would pay that to not see the ads. So that makes it even harder for us to get to them. It, so
0: it brings up a valid point. You were mentioning finding other distribution channels, other ways of engaging with your customer, maybe more traditional ways. One of the things that we see coming up recently is for especially indie beauty brands that don't have access to Sephora or large retailers, they do almost retail co ops. They'll gather up 20 or 30 different brands. They'll find a retail space that they can lease out for three to six months as a pop-up store. And they'll spread, share the cost and they'll bring all the brands into that retail location for six months.
1: I love that. That's really fun.
0: So they're they're getting, I think brands are getting creative when it comes to engaging the clients because they realize that these traditional forms are either too expensive or they're just not performing. And so I always, we're always trying to understand what's the next sort of novel way and things like TikTok shops, which are a new thing, and also have flopped in many ways. They're not performing. And then you see Instagram e-commerce, which is also being pushed. And and this also hasn't been working so well.
1: Yeah. And also people, it's a weird time in the world. The economy is not the best it's been. The interest rates are really high. We're potentially in the middle of a World War III. There's just so much happening. makes a lot of sense why people aren't just shopping nilly-willy like they were a few years ago.
0: How do you think about relationship, the relationship you have with your customer? And like, how do you think about that long term? Obviously, a client comes to tomorrow, there is a brand impression they get when they buy the product, they experience the product. What happens next? What happens after I make my first purchase? And how do you think about retaining that relationship and fostering that relationship over time?
1: We've been working on this because it's, it isn't something that we've necessarily done perfectly when years passed. I think a lot of times when you're growing the business, you're just like, new customers, get them in. But of course, like the returning customer is really important as well. And- We've always had a really high returning customer rate. I think it's because our formulas really speak for themselves. But I think the thing now that we're really focusing on is our community at large. So whether it's the community that follows us on Instagram or it's the community of people that we have in our Shopify database, just doing special things that make them feel like we're giving back. And a lot of this is whether it's, you know, hey, we're going to give five of our award winning, um, allure winning flower acid to our top five shoppers from the past Six months. So we'll do stuff like that, or giving exclusive merch that we don't sell that our top shoppers would love. And so just treating people and giving back in little ways to make them feel okay, we know that you're spending money with us and we want to also invest in this relationship too. Another thing we're seeing is community events that we're doing. So instead of focusing so much on the influencer, and I feel like we've been focusing on the influencer and the celebrity for the past 10 plus years really looking at it and saying, okay, instead of investing X amount of money in doing this type of influencer event or sending out this many influencer PR mailers, we're going to take that money and host a happy hour for our community. And we'll do it via a sign up. where, yeah, where we're really getting, and then we get to be there. We'll invite the team. We'll be there. I'll be there. And we'll get to mix and mingle. We've done all sorts of these. We've done happy hours. We've done a, a walk, like a hot girl walk in New York city, Where we treated everyone to juices at the end and swag, and we did a a hike in LA. So we've been doing more of these where it just gets to have us have more touch points with the people that are actually in our community.
0: Which is amazing because these are the real customers, the everyday buyers of the product that eventually you want them to be evangelists as well.
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: Something super interesting we've seen also recently is the uh, leveraging Reddit to engage communities. I don't know if you guys have tried that, but. A lot of your brands have actually taken their founders into the platform and posted different kind of uh, prompted questions and statements and things that allow them to engage with the, the community. That even getting product feedback or understanding what products and trends um, they could move into next as part of their SKUs. And it's been really picking up.
1: Uh, I love that. I'm yeah. not like... Reddit is one of those platforms. It's actually one of the only platforms that just never spoke to me. I think cause it's not the most aesthetically pleasing to look at, no. <laughs> but, but I'm, I've heard this before and I've, I haven't really heard so much from the founder angle, but I've heard of brands leveraging it for their own communities. And it's definitely something we should look into. There's another platform I'm blanking on the name of it right now, but there's another platform that a few of my friends are using and they really love it. Actually probably have it written down right here, but you can go on and it's similar to a Slack channel where you can use it to Before, have these com- Yeah, I think, I actually think that's it. Discord, you can yeah. use, yeah, use this platform to have uh, conversations with your community. Yes, that's it. And so I think that's really interesting too. I need to get better. I need a million hours in the day.
0: Oh my God, <laughs> there's a the thing, right? There's so many of these platforms that it's hard to choose like where your people are. You know, yeah. And understanding that. There's something else I saw on Discord the other day. You might find this interesting is, um Discord has all these bots that do different things inside of the, the chat. And there's this new bot called forecast, and basically allows you to, as a founder or as a company, you issue a challenge inside of the platform, and people can use Dolly and GPT to create visuals, like creative essentially, to, mm-hmm. to fulfill the challenge that you put out. For example, if you said we're launching a new packaging, these are, these are the requirements, give us some ideas, and people jump in and start designing the package and brands are doing contests to say the top three designs get free product or they get some cute. Sort of super cute cool.
1: i need to check that out yeah there are all these platforms it's god uh, I, I need to be on all of them
0: <laughs> yeah it's tough i think you got to pick and choose and, and you got to also understand where your customers are right Definitely. What platforms there. i guess as a just to, to wrap um what is next? What's coming for the next year, twelve months? What's top of mind? Products you want to launch?
1: Yes. Yeah, so our product development process takes like sometimes three to four years to from wow. completion to launch because they're custom built. We do clinical testing on all of them. We make sure they actually work. And so we do have obviously our, our product lineup for next year. We're launching a product in January and then one in August. I can't tell you what it is just yet, but it's really exciting. <laughs> Because it's something that we've never done before and we're really known for these oil-based actives. So it's something that's a bit of a departure for us, but still very in line with all the things that people have come to know and love from Mara. So that's really exciting for us because we're launching it in January and it's our first launch since we've been in Sephora that's going in stores. So that's really exciting for us. We're also expanding into more Sephora doors. So we'll be at all doors in the US by this time next year. And then we're experimenting with a new category. So lots of exciting things in the pipeline for us next year. I'm, ex- I'm so ready for 2024. I feel like 2023 was like lots of lessons, got the memo, ready for next year.
0: <laughs> I love that. Congratulations Great. on all the progress. So
1: thank we you. We look
0: forward to to chatting from the sidelines and watching the brand develop.
1: Well, thank so you so time. much. We got to get you some because my skincare is unisex. Everyone can take advantage of it. Guys need to take care of their skin too. So we got to get you some to try.
0: Would love to. And I have a whole team of women in the company that also would love to. Amazing. Super grateful and Alison, thank you so much for joining it. Love having you.
1: <laughs> thank you for having me. This was amazing.